This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Regardless of your residency program year, the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Platform developed by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons is right for you. Free to residents, ROC is an online learning program that covers 11 subspecialty areas with content that's been authored and curated by some of the leading names in orthopedics. And residents can access content for free at rock.aos.org. Get started today. Bonjour e welcome to another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. My name is Dr. Cole, and you are tuned into our board slash our OITE review series featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine. And we hope that you all have been enjoying us, enjoying speaking to us, or at least enjoying listening to us on this long journey that we have taken to try to cover all of orthopedics, which we will never cover all of it, but we'll cover as much as we possibly can. And we are continuing on with some hand lectures or hand talks today. And last time we talked about thumb fractures. Now we're going to kind of transition into some tendon issues. So if you have not already, hit the subscribe button, tell a friend about our podcast, and we'll see you all soon. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. I think that's mostly like our thumb and our hand stuff. And uh, I guess we can move forward and talk some tendon injuries. Sure. All right. So what are some general considerations with treating flexor tendon injuries? Things you want to keep in mind are the strength of the tendon repair is proportional to the number of suture strands across the repair site. Lacerations of greater than 60% of the tendon are treated with simultaneous core plus epitendinous repair, whereas lacerations that are less than half or 60%, you can typically get away with an epitendinous repair only. You want to have a minimum of four strand repair of core sutures to allow active motion with therapy. And the A2 and A4 pulleys are most important for function in terms of bow stringings. Different types of sutures are used. I know in, in my residency, we so that we could get the four core sutures, we actually used a loop, a looped fiber wire. So we only had to pass that fiber wire twice through the core to get those four core sutures. It provided a very robust repair, whereas single sutures, you have to pass that suture four separate times through the core. So it just depends on as long as you get those four core strands, that's indicative of allowing early active motion with therapy. This is probably the, one of the higher yield things for both residency and for testing purposes. What are the different zones for flexor tendon injury? Yeah. So zone one is going to be distal to your FDS. Remember FDS inserts on P2. So these are going to be injuries like you have FDP avulsion or jersey fingers. Zone two is going to be proximal to the FDS between the palm. Some people call this no man's land. And the reason why is because here's where the FDS and the FDP are both present. And so you have a much higher risk of adhesions and these patients typically don't do as well. Zone three is going to be more the palm area. Zone four is going to be the carpal tunnel region. And zone five is going to be the distal forearm. And we have a podcast episode for those that are listening 
on flexor tendon injuries featuring Dr. Dacus if you want to go and listen and get a more in-depth review of flexor tendon injuries. Now, what are the typical like surgical treatment options for these flexor tendon injuries if we're talking about like by zone? Yeah, so zone one, like you just talked about, the more distal injuries are treated with typically a, if the FDP is retracted all the way to the palm, which is a type one, zone one injury, early repair is preferred because you don't want that musculotendinous junction or structure to get too contracted that you won't be able to pull it out to length for a primary repair. Type two, zone one injuries are the FDP is retracted to the PIP. So not quite as retracted. And so delayed repair is acceptable, but still early repair, I think is probably more preferable with the hand surgeons. And then type three, which is the FDP is only retracted to the DIP. So only retracted to several millimeters. Delayed repair is okay because you can typically pull that out to length for a primary repair. Or if the allograft or autograft substitution is required, you're not having to use a very long autograft. So zone two, like you said, or excuse me, uh, after prolonged DIP flexion, you tend to get dorsal lateral band subluxation and that swan neck deformity fractures. And it's hard to overcome that because then you're having to reconstruct the lateral bands and you're having to put them in a more favorable location so that you don't keep getting this swan neck deformity and, and it's very uncomfortable for the patients to try and overcome that through flexion rehab because the finger will want to get stuck in that swan neck deformity. So you want to get to these as soon as you can, but for the more distal injuries, delayed repair is okay. And then zone two, like you mentioned, the kind of no man's land, some people will require up to about half some sort of tenolysis three months after surgery for motion because it is that no man's land. No one really wants to operate here because that's where all of the pulleys are and that's where all of these like very complex hand and wrist motions happen. And so there's a lot going on and it puts the repairs at a high risk for re-rupture or for just getting too stiff. And if you can primarily repair them, I think give that a shot because you can always reconstruct later with autograft or allograft if the primary repair fails. Zone three, like you said, is in the palmar area of the flexor tendon. You can have a direct repair. Zone four, once again, is the carpal tunnel region. You want to do a direct repair and also repair the transverse carpal ligament if that is disrupted versus higher energy injuries. You may want to leave that a transverse carpal ligament open so that you can perform a carpal tunnel release. And then zone five, which is within the forearm, within the muscle belly itself, you don't necessarily have to do a whole lot of repair because it's really hard to repair muscle to muscle. But if it's at the musculotendinous junction, attempting a primary direct repair at that area is favorable to an autograft. Then moving to the dorsal side of the hand, what are the different zones for the extensor tendon? Yeah, the extensor tendon. So one and two is going to involve the terminal insertion of the mechanisms. And injuries here may lead to mouth finger formation. Zone three, this is when you have a disruption of the central slip. 
And I think what they'll do is sometimes they'll describe this Elson test in which you have the patients like put their flexor PIP over like the end of a table or something like that. And you want them to try to push against your finger to extend their PIP joint. And they're going to be unable to do that because they have disruption of this central slip. They may be able to extend their DIP, but really extension at their PIP is going to be impaired. And these zone threes, if these continue, and again, you have this central slip disruption, these could lead to a boutonniere's deformity. Zone fours is going to be kind of around the region of the proximal phalanx. Zone five is going to be directly over the MCP joint. So this is where you have that sagittal band injury that you described a little earlier that you had, as well as this is like the fight bite zone. So whenever somebody punches somebody and they have a wound right over that area, you need to be concerned about fight bite. And then zone six and zone seven is going to be proximal to that MCP joint. So similarly to the flexor tendons, what are some of the treatment options for extensor tendon injuries by zone? Yeah, the extensor tendons are, they tend to respond a lot more to non-operative treatment than the flexor tendons. And to me, it makes sense because we are a much more flexor tendon reliance species than extensor tendon reliance species because we use our hands to grasp objects or using our flexor tendons a lot. So like zone one, full-time extension splinting of the DIP tends to treat those injuries well. You can treat the swan neck deformity with the central slip tenotomy or a spiral oblique retinacular ligament reconstruction. That's highly advanced hand stuff. So I wouldn't worry about (laughs) knowing the indications for a spiral oblique retinacular ligament reconstruction on ABOS or OITE because that's just not testable for resident or general orthopedic knowledge. Zone three, like you were talking about with the disruption of the central slip, you can treat that usually in just a PIP joint extension splint. However, if it is higher energy injury or somebody fails the extension splint and they tend to fall into a boutonniere sort of deformity, you can do a direct surgical repair of that central slip. And then for accessor tendon ruptures in other zones, just a direct end-to-end repair, again, being mindful of those four crossing core sutures tends to treat those well. One, because they don't have, there's not a big pulley system that is going through. You can tolerate a kind of a thicker tendon at where the repair happens. Whereas on the volar side, you, you have to make sure that tendon still passes through a pulley. And so if it bunches up too much and it gets caught in a pulley, then you're dealing more with a trigger finger type of complication or, or some sort of other secondary complication. Whereas you don't see that as much on the extensor side. But what are some of the complications after a tendon repair, both on the volar and sor- dorsal surface? This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. If you're an orthopedic resident, it's time to start building the foundation to be prepared for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leaders in the field to bring you the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program. Rock is an all-in-one online learning platform covering 11 subspecialties. You can access the content for free at rock.aaos.org. This platform delivers a comprehensive, structured, standardized curriculum and even includes self-assessment quizzes and performance analytics. And remember, residents never pay to access ROC content. Get started today at rock.aaos.org. 
Org. Yeah, so with anything, you can always have adhesions. So tendon adhesions, which if they do have, you can treat with a tenolysis, typically after three to six months. You can have a tendon rupture. So when we look at like our tendon healing, and I think we spoke a little bit about this in our basic science talks, the tendons are weakest around week one. So seven to 10 days postoperatively is around the time where you'd have an acute rupture. If you have a late rupture, you can treat these with a tendon reconstruction. And also joint contractures is a complication of tendon repairs, especially if you do it too tight or whatever else it may be. So to treat this, you may start off by splinting it or may need a surgical release down the line. Now, what are some indications for flexor tendon reconstruction? Yeah, these would be the ones where you attempted primary repair, but that repair failed and you either no longer have adequate tissue to conduct a secondary primary repair. Just like you said, a joint contracture is a complication. So if you are over tensioning the tendons, then one, you're putting a lot of stress on the repair because the patient's not going to, at some point, they're going to want to have full mobility of that joint or at least as much as they can. And so the more mobile the repair is, the better it's going to be rather than over tensioning it but also chronic untreated injuries. Somebody who just had a delayed presentation or difficult time with insurance getting into clinic or something like that, you're looking more at some sort of either uh, palmaris longus autograft or allograft tendon reconstruction or tendon transfer. What is a two-stage tendon reconstruction? I always wanted to do one of these in residency, but I never saw one, even though one of our attendings does them and not on a routine basis, but he's much more gung-ho about these two-stage reconstructions than others. Really? Yeah. I've never seen one in residency, but yeah, these two-stage reconstructions. So you have stage one where you have a temporary silicone rod that's going to be implanted and fixed distally to the tending and allowed to glide. I don't think it's fixed proximally. And then stage two, three months later, the rods removed and then you have an autograph placed through the sheath that has formed since the silicone rod has been implanted, it reminds me of that masculine <laughs> technique uh, yeah. a little bit where you put in like a, a cement spacer and you come back some months later and the membrane is formed around and you take the spacer out and put some bone graft in there. Somewhat similar thought process, you could say. What are some late complications seen after tendon repair? Yeah. So like I mentioned before, the triggering, anytime you do a tendon repair, regardless of how good you are at doing it, the tendon's never going to be normal. And so you'll always get a kind of a thicker tendon at that region where you did the repair. And so it's not going to want to glide through the A1 pulley very well. And so you may have to do a partial or complete release of the A1 pulley so that it you don't get that trigger finger. And then one is called a lumbrical plus, which is a paradoxical extension of the IP joints with attempted flexion. And basically you treat this by releasing or excising the lumbrical tendons because they are, although they're responsible for some flexion at the MCP, they're responsible for extension at the and PIP joints. So if they are overpowering your tendon repair, then you are going to see a paradoxical extension of the IP joints because the lumbricals are too strong compared to the tendon that was repaired and hasn't undergone 
either formal rehab or something like that. And so it, it's really uncomfortable and challenging for the patients to overcome that. And then the last one and one that I've seen tested is called quadrigia. And basically they will show you a static picture of somebody who had a tendon repaired and they'll have them attempt a fist in the picture, but the uninjured fingers are unable to obtain full flexion because the flexor tendon that you repaired is tighter than the rest of the tendons. And so as they flex down for the middle finger, they'll flex the middle finger down into a fist, but you'll see the index ring and small fingers floating above the palm because they all have the common muscle belly, but the tendon of the one you repaired is too tight. And so it, it will close down faster than the other tendons that you repair. And how you get around this is by some sort of either Z lengthening procedure, or you focus occupational therapy on just that digit to stretch out that tendon itself so that they can overcome the quadriga effect. That's some high tech, high tech stuff here, especially that lumbrical finger plus. I think I was doing a question and I had no idea what that was, but I saw that was an answer choice. And also quadriga, I think was asked. So yeah, we're covering a bunch of hopefully high yield things and hopefully people get some, some questions right because of at least listening or hearing something at least once. And I think we're at least somewhere around halfway through hand. So we'll come back another day and finish all this hand stuff. So for those that are listening, we hope that you all are uh, enjoying and learning something. And again, as always, if we say anything wrong, feel free to uh, email us and let us know. And uh, until next time. Hello, everybody. And thank you for listening to that episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. We hope that you're learning some things. That is our goal for all of these series. It's just for you to learn some stuff. We learn some stuff talking to each other. And hopefully you all learn some stuff from listening to us talk to each other. <laughs> so if you have not already hit the subscribe button, please go and leave us a review. That would help us out a bunch. And I will see you all next time.